This podcast is called Down the TV Rabbit Hole with Jim Sign and Harry Bartosiak, and I'm proud to tell you, Harry, we have one new additional listener. Isn't that great news? Fantastic. Uh, sign in, please, additional listener. His name is Dan. He lives on the West Coast. He sent me an email out of nowhere. And uh, anyway, he was just very complimentary, and we went back and forth. So so now I think we have a, uh, a we have John Kuhn, we have Dan, and we have our other buddy, the guy who likes Columbo. His name is Dan, too. So we have two Dan. What are the we, chances out of three we have, listeners we have I two know. Dans? We have two Dans. That's crazy. But, yeah, this is a totally different guy. So it was very, very interesting to get his email. So Hey, wasn't there a TV show called My Two Dans? No. Yeah, I think it, I think, it, you know, yeah, no, I think you're right. It starred, let's see, Dan Haggerty, and uh, who would be another famous Dan Daly. Ah, nope. that's right. Yeah. yeah. And Danny yeah. Thomas was like the grandfather. Right. And Dick, Dick Butkus played an ex-football player. It, well, you know, it was a stretch for him, but he managed to make it work. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Hey, did, well, did Did you know there's a new show on that's called? Uh, uh, Snoop Dogg presents the Joker's Wild. I didn't, but I don't watch new shows. I spend my time living in the past. So, yeah, interesting. Well, so, I, I I saw that it was I, I, the Joker's Wild was back, so I Googled it, and it says Snoop Dogg presents the Joker's Wild, and I said that sounds like a Saturday Night Live skit, but no, it's an actual yeah. show. Yeah. Next thing you know, they're going to have the Coneheads doing Family Feud. I'll be up for that. Now, see, that was funny. You see, Snoop yeah. Dogg. Have you ever heard Snoop Dogg say anything that was even remotely interesting? No, not at all. I, no. no. Coneheads, <laughs> on the other hand, on Family Feud, name something you eat for breakfast. Fiberglass. <laughs> yeah, that was good. And didn't the real Richard Dawson, wasn't he in the skit? No, it was Bill Murray, I think. Oh, I don't know why. I thought Richard Dawson was in it. Something people like to chew on. A trapeze. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm going to make you a gentleman's bet. I could have swore the real Richard Dawson did it, but maybe I'm wrong. Okay. Twelve people said sandwich. All right, Connie. Something that people like to bite. Mm, the big one. <laughs> that was the big one. All right. Does our audience bite the big one? I'm sorry, but we are incapable of gentlemen's bets because to do that, you have to have gentlemen. But well, uh, in any event, you know, we can call it whatever you want. So, right, good well, to see you. Hey, hey did, I, good did to... I tell you that I've been feeling old and tired lately? No, you've been feeling old and tired, but why? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I'm getting old and I'm tired. But oh, I was thinking that today's show, and I know you'll talk about the theme, was really going to make me feel, you know, young again and recover my vital energy. And I thank you for... Suggesting that many people know. No one knows yet. This is an extravaganza, correct? It, it is. And and we decided to do one because our last one we did, our SCTV, was really, really uh, – we got great compliments on it. Dan and John yeah. Kuhn. John Kuhn texted me at like 2 in the morning. And he's like, oh, man, it was great. I loved it. It was so good. All this good stuff. So today we're going to do another extravaganza. And we're going to just kind of go back and forth. We're not going to spend too yeah. much time on any show. But we're going to roll back. No. We're going to turn back the clock. About 50 years or so, give or take, and we're going to revisit some of the Saturday morning shows that we watched when we were much younger growing up in Chicago. And uh, I'm Wait a excited. Minute. What? I thought what? you would t- tell me what we were doing uh, Christmas specials only. So I don't have anything prepared. 
Well, that's okay. You you can do heat miser and snow miser because that one's right. my favorite. I'll, I'll ruffle some papers. I'll try to get yeah. something together on the fly. I'm All right. Like well, while you're doing that, I'll I'll kick it off. How about that? Since you're not right. quite prepared, yeah, I'll you kick give me it a like when we're ordering at the restaurant and I'm not quite ready. You go first, okay? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like that. Fifteen seconds is going to make you give you enough because you inevitably say, ah, uh, yeah, just come back, just come yeah, back. Right. Yeah. All right. Here's a show that. Uh, it, and this is one that I don't know if I watched it. Second run, third run, fourth run. I know I watched it. It had an impact on my life because I remembered it as soon as I went to the Wayback Machine. I went to the YouTube and Googled it. What is the only cartoon that you remember that starred the great actor and friend of Marlon Brando, Wally Cox? Aha! Yes. Um... Damn, I'm going to kick myself. Break the long set. They should fear him. But no, the underdog. Break the underdog. That's, That's it. Right. You got it. I don't know all the words to it, but I, I knew about I knew about 75 percent when I was listening to the theme song. Um, so the great By the way, Wally, Wally Cox, Cox, I would say, would be the number one stereotypical uh, bird watcher uh, ever to appear on TV. If you were going to cast a bird watcher, yes. I would cast one male lead would be Wally Cox, and the female lead would be Miss Jane Hathaway. Very good. That is excellent casting, for God's sake. Because Wally Cox, for those that don't remember, he was very slight, although he was quite an athlete, but he was a small, skinny guy. He had uh, glasses, and his biggest role, other than underdog, was Mr. Peepers back in the 50s. Remember that one? No, I don't. Okay. I wasn't. I, no, I, I didn't watch it either, but the, the second banana was the great Tony Randall. So it, it was a pretty popular show, I guess, back in its day. Underdog, 64 to 67 is when it was on first run, 62 episodes. Um, there's not a lot to talk about mm-hmm. as far as the show goes, because yeah. Wally Cox was the big, the star. Uh, Norma McMillan was the one that played Miss Polly Purebred. Um, right. But as I was listening to the show, I'm like, wait a minute. I know the narrator. I'm like, uh-huh. Who is that guy? And then I'm flashing back, I'm flashing back, and of course I just alluded to it a moment ago. It was George S. Irving, who was the heat miser in Year Without a Santa Claus. Really? And you recognized his voice. The giant cats of the planet Felina had taken all the cows on Earth and captured Sweet Polly to milk them. And now they had the mighty underdog in the rubber trap. Well, 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 if it isn't Mrs. Claus. Where's your husband? Out doing another commercial for my brother? Well, I've always loved his voice. And I remember, because we did do Heat and Snow Miser, I think, in one of our previous episodes, or talked about it. So I said, wait a minute, I know that guy. Isn't that George S. Irving? Yeah. And so I put two and two together. And uh, and he's excellent. He's a great narrator. Spectacular. No kidding. I don't know who the hell he is. So I'd be interested. To, I don't know if you're going to put a drop in of his I voice. Will. Seems like it would be a natural. Uh, but I don't know who that is. But interesting. Yeah. George he, he was, S. Irving. He, yeah, he actually won a Tony. He was mainly a Broadway actor. Uh, he did a little bit of TV and a little bit of voice work. And, of course, he, even in his Wikipedia page, they say he's probably known best as the heat miser in Year Without a Santa Claus. So, you know, okay. he had a good career. But Very that's good. What he's for. So, uh, uh, Underdog, yeah. it, was, it was one of those shows that was paired with other shows. It'd be like a half-hour show. You'd get one Underdog. Then you'd get a Tennessee Tuxedo or a Go, Go, Go. Uh, do Tennessee. How Phineas J. Whoopi are the greatest. The G Tennessee. How about another riddle? 
All right, Chumley, go ahead. Gee, Tennessee, how about another riddle? All right, Chumley, go ahead. Why is it bad to leave a clock at the head of the stairs? Why, I know. It might run down. So, Underdog, I think you remember this. You know, he Mm. always talked in rhymes. Yeah, yeah, I, I forgot, forgot that, that yeah. but okay, now I do. Well, in the one that I, and I've used this before uh, uh, in my TV career uh, is a joke. Uh, like when things are going bad and I'm having a, a, I was having like a bad weather cast, I would stop and I would grab my hand and I would say, the secret compartment of my ring I fill with a Jim Science super weatherman pill. And I pretend to take a pill and then all of a sudden I do good weather. Because he used to wow. do the secret compartment of my ring I fill with an underdog super energy pill. Oh, my gosh. So yeah, I totally, totally forgot that, but now I remember. You're right. right. Yeah. yeah. So, and did he have a sidekick? No, no sidekick. Miss Polly Purebred hmm. was the girl oh, yeah. who was always right. always getting in trouble. Uh, but, yeah, he always spoke in rhymes. And when they started to rerun the show again in the 70s, they actually, there was a controversy because they didn't want kids to watch underdog and see a pill and say, oh, that's probably an underdog super energy pill, so I should take it. So they oh, ed- right, yeah. So they edited that out of some of them, and in others, they had somebody else voice uh, voice over. Uh, instead of energy pill, it was vitamin pill. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And they, 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 they did have underdog vitamins, if I remember correctly. I think you're along right. With, yeah, yeah, along with, with Flintstone, Flintstone vitamins. So yeah. Pretty, Pretty smart, smart marketing, marketing also. also. Get the kids to pop a pill, make it a vitamin, and make a million. Well, of course, Wally Cox, as you know, died very, very young. I don't have the year, but it, it was in the 80s. But I remember, what was his other role that you remember Wally Cox in? Paul Lynn's boyfriend? Well, no. Well, you're kind of halfway there. No, he, he was on Hollywood Squares with Paul Lind. That's right. Yes. Um, Wally Cox. Yeah. Uh, Laughing. He did, might have done a laugh in too, but he was on Hollywood Squares. He was a regular before he died. The regulars right. were like, uh, um, oh, Charlie Weaver, who was really Cliff Arquette, uh, Paul Lind, uh, Rosemary, uh, who was it? Wally Cox, and there was one other. Oh, George Goble. Those Marty guys. Allen. Marty Allen was kind of a regular, I think, for a while. Although George, <laughs> George, Go- George, George little Georgie George Goble. Yeah. Lonesome George Not- Goble. Lonesome. Lonesome George. Is that what it oh, was? Lonesome George. I thought it was Little George. Because well, you know, he, he had a. I, we said this before. He had a guitar named after him, and it was an amazing guitar. It was a Gibson L5. They call it the Little George Goble. He played it at the time. An L5, which was one of the most expensive Gibsons you can buy. He played it on TV, but you know, they didn't cost near as much, even relatively speaking, back then. So anyway, they made a signature model, and I'm like, well, I didn't even know the guy played the guitar. I just thought he was the, the crew cut guy. On Hollywood Squares. Now, but, now uh, anyway. the Gibson L5, isn't that what uh, Scotty Moore used to play? No. Uh, good guess. Close. Uh, that was the Super 400, Gibson Super 400. Okay. All right. Uh, and and Elvis played that. I think it was Scotty Moore's guitar on the 68 Comeback Special when he's sitting around with Charlie Hodge and Scotty Moore. Uh, and they're singing uh, That's All Right, Mama. Yeah. Uh, so Elvis has got the Super 400. He's playing it. I don't think he could really play it, but he, he's, if you want it, if you're, for you guitar guys, uh, check that out on YouTube. That's, that's an amazing guitar. He was mad when Elvis did that because Elvis took his electric guitar, 
and uh, started and started playing it. And Scotty's like, "This is a brand new guitar." And Elvis was what they call a chunker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could just play a little chord here or there. Yeah, but but he's to scratch up guitars, and Scotty's like, oh. got a brand new L5. Oh. He's going to mess it up. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, Super 400. Yeah. yeah. Oh, very yeah. famous guitar. Yeah. All right, so that's it for Underdog. Uh, you know, I, again, I don't know exactly when I watched it. It was probably Saturday mornings in the 70s. You know, it's been on and off the air for many years. It was on Nickelodeon and then Cartoon Network and another one and another one. But that's it for Underdog. That's, uh, you know, any other, any other, yeah, just just one I thought I'd pull out because I always liked it. I always liked the fact that I'd see Wally Cox on Hollywood Squares. I'd say, oh, that's the Underdog guy. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Very good. Nice All start. Right. We're off to a rolling start. What do you got for us, pal? Okay. So picture um, that I am suddenly a cartoon character, and all you see is a cartoon. But as I'm speaking, you see my real mouth moving with yellowish teeth and big red lips. Clutch Cargo with his pal Spinner and Paddlefoot. Nineteen fifty-nine to nineteen sixty. Adventurer and pilot Clark Haas wrote the the fifty-two episodes for an adventure, uh, an adventurer called Clutch Cargo, whose job it was uh, to crisscross the world, going on adventures and then writing about them. Okay. Exciting. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And he had a small child companion that never explained what the relationship was and a dog named Paddlefoot. Spinner was the kid. And they used this new technology at the time called Synchrobox. Did you see Clutch Cargo? Did you you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. yeah, No. And even now I can remember it it was kind of eerie because it wouldn't even be. It'd just be like a still image. And like you say, you'd see the mouth and the lips moving. Super, super um, low-quality animation. And then right. they put the, this Synchrobox, you know, nice name, but it means they synchronized basically somebody's yellow teeth and mouth moving with a still cartoon image. And not even that good at drawing either. But anyway, um, it was so cheap that the producer of the show joked, you know, Dis- what, what Disney... It cost them 250000 to do. We can do for 18000 Literally, they had it worked out. Like, this is cheap shit. Uh, but right. it was, and this is old, 59 and 60. It was it, 52 episodes, and they broke them down. In, they're basically 20 minutes per episode. They broke them down into five-minute shots. So they would show it, like, you know, like probably during the Soupy Sale show or something like that. And he'd break away or uh, for five minutes and have... Clutch Cargo from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and maybe by Friday to wrap it up. Uh, so, and it was live, like I said, live action mixed with cartoon. Um, the there's not too much more to say, but except that you know I was fascinated by it. I always thought it was so cool, even though I knew as a kid that it was crap, basically. You know? <laughs> right. It would fly everywhere in a plane, and they had a like an Eskimo. It was kind of like this Eskimo was always uh, tracking him around, and he was saying, Oogly boogly clutch! And, and then he had, uh, like, I, I saw an episode preparing for this where the Eskimo guy, I forget his name, but uh, crawled into an ice cream truck because he thought it was an igloo. You know, stupid jokes like that. And, it was, and the dialogue was very, very um, boring, I would say. But I loved it as a kid. And I come to find out that they have a um, couple of interesting voiceover people that did voices on it. Did you know that Hal Smith, Otis the Drunk from uh, 
from Andy Griffith's show, did regular voices on the show. I didn't know that, no. Yeah, I did not know that. Uh, the, and another guy that did was Emil Sitka. You know who that is? Oh, God, Emil Sitka. Yeah. Yes, I do. Oh, my God. Wasn't he in the Three Stooges shorts? Yeah, he was damn near a Three Stooge, or like a fourth He's considered like the fourth Stooge. Yeah. He played a lot of character actors and was in a ton of them, I guess. But um, Conan O'Brien later uh, made this uh, kind of a running gag when he would have newsmakers on. Let's say it was, you know, this is going back a while, so let's yeah. say it was President George Bush. He'd have him, and then he'd have the clutch cargo mouth moving with a still shot of him in interview. So it was a running gag. They actually called it the clutch cargo gag. I don't think they used that technology for any other cartoons that I can remember. I mean, obviously Conan brought it back, but that's the only one I no. remember with with the mouth moving. Right. So, yeah. obviously <laughs> not too successful. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I've got one for you. All right, All right, hit me. All right, now this is one. It actually was a spinoff cartoon, believe it or not. I realized after I did my research that the reason I liked a lot of these cartoons or I like or I remembered them is the fact that they had such good music. It was a spinoff of Wacky Races. It was Stop the Pigeon. Remember that one? Stop the pigeon, stop the pigeon, stop the pigeon, stop the pigeon. And I realized as I was watching the cartoon again, like just three, four days ago, I said the reason I like that theme song is because it sounds exactly like Tiger Rag, which is a great Dixieland tune from, I think, the 1940s, even the 30s, for God's sake. I mean, every Dixieland band does it. Stop the pigeon, stop the pigeon. So I go to Wikipedia and they say uh, the theme song was very popular because they ripped off Tiger Rag. And I'm like, I was right. Even as a kid, I knew it. So that's pretty good. I yeah, that is good. Now, so what was the name of the show? Well, Stop it, the Pigeon? Yeah, it was called Stop the Pigeon. And then they released it later in another form uh, called Dastardly and Muttley in their flying machines. And it's basically, you know, like six different people all in these crazy uh, airplanes from like the 1920s. You know, they got yeah, one yeah. guy with, you know, and all they're doing is trying to trying to stop the pigeon because the pigeon is supposedly carrying some. Uh, they, I they, remember. They, yeah, okay, okay. You remember. Good. I'm glad. But it was just yeah. basically them all, and the music kept playing, and they, you know, and a big airplane would, would swoop in, and they'd almost get the pigeon, then the pigeon would fly up, and the two airplanes would crash into each other, and that's every episode, basically. Wow. All right, let uh, me let ask you a question. question. Yeah. You know how you say that the theme song was ripped off? Yeah. Okay. We've done some research on some cartoon creators, including the biggies, you know, the, you know, the, the 100-pound gorillas. Does it strike you that... There might have been a seedy side to the cartoon creators in terms of their willingness to rip things off left and right, maybe. You know, ideas from other cartoonist songs without, you know, and I'll talk about a couple of those coming up. But I don't know that these people, I'm not going to say they didn't have ethics, but we're finding more and more examples of this kind of stuff. Then again, it is kind of quasi Hollywood, right? Well, well, of course, the biggest is the fact that you know the Flintstone, Flintstones ripped off the Honeymooners, and Jackie Gleason right. almost sued, but then didn't. But like uh, that that cartoon I mentioned before, the Ant and the Aardvark, where right. it was I think John Biner doing a Dean Martin impersonation and a Jackie Mason impersonation, and it's so spot on. But yeah, you're exactly right. Well, let's just do a let's do a Jack Benny type voice for this guy. <laughs> 
Well, Stop the Pigeon was only on for one season, September of 69 to January of 70. Um, let's see. Uh, again, it was an offshoot of the Wacky Races. Paul Winchell uh, played Dick Dastardly, and a guy named Don Messick, who's a great character, uh, a voice actor, uh, did a lot of other uh, voices on the show. But I just loved it because of the theme song and the fact that they were just, the entire cartoon was just chasing the pigeon and then they'd get close. It was almost like Wile E. Coyote, you know? It was the exact same thing where, oh, let's try this to go ahead and stop the pigeon. Oh, let's go ahead and buy the big bow and arrow to try and get the roadrunner. Uh, yeah, and, it, you know, that, that was the whole cartoon, but I liked it, so there you go. And I got one for you that might be almost um, as obscure, but I bet you'll remember it. Okay. Do you remember, there is no animation involved in this one, 72 to 77. Doug and Emmy Joe lived in a town where there was nobody except for Henrietta Hippo, Charlie the Owl, and Freddy the Frog in big fluffy costumes. Oh. New Zoo Review. It's the oh. New Zoo Review, and we're coming out to you. It's very disturbing cartoon because the the characters, the Henrietta Hippo, and wasn't there a frog? I think. Freddy the Frog. Freddy the Frog. Charlie the Owl. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, at least the owl looked okay, but the frog and Henrietta Hippo, they were so disturbing to look at. They had those big, yeah. huge. Puffed up heads. It looked like Richard Dawson before he died. You know, I mean, just it was yeah, yeah like, like big rolls of fat when they walked around and they danced all the time. And even at the beginning, it was, I noticed I watched a few of the intro and outro. They're doing these really bad, badly choreographed dances, like something that you might put together in grade school with the kids, like right. you could only barely teach them. And it was a mess, but they're going to put yep. this on TV anyway. And this guy, Doug Momory, I give him a lot of credit. He looked like, you know, he was all 70s out at the time. He had thick glasses and shaggy hair and like a turtleneck and everything. And his real-life wife, Emily, who they called Emily Joe in the show, they did this. And they're still married today. Uh, and they put together the show, I guess, um, you know, I never I watched it at the time because it was on, but you remember there was hardly every, any, anything around. It was just a TV set where they had like a country house and there were these three different characters were always, you know, talking with Doug and Emmy Joe and learning lessons from them about stuff like cooperating with each other or, yeah. uh, you know, being sad that someone moved away or being courteous or don't brag, you know, like teaching the kids moral, little moral lessons, right? But it was just... Yeah. And didn't they didn't true. they seem like a couple of hippies? I remember him having yes. like a mustache and glasses and she had like long straight hair. Oh yeah, he had the set, the burns and everything. Yeah. Total. But again it was 1972, but they sure. did it for 5 years to 77. Um now the one thing, that's yeah. spent too much time on this, but there's no, no, sort no. of a surprising list of guest stars on this show. I was guest sure stars. I don't, I don't remember, remember any, any guest stars. <laughs> Well, first of all, all right. according to my research, Chuck Woolery was a regular, some kind of handyman. So I don't remember that ever. You know, you know Chuck wow. Woolery, of course, from uh, we'll Love be back in two and two. Love yeah. Connection, yeah. And not many people remember Wheel of Fortune before that, too, right? Yes. And yeah, then, you're right. That's when that's when you didn't get the money. You had to go on that stupid prize hunt. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll take I'll take the two hundred dollar statue that has a two thousand dollar price tag in front of it. Um, let's see. Yeah. Oh, God, that it was so terrible. Wasn't he on card sharks, or there was one where you, like, throw big dice, like, on a table or something? High like rollers! I high think rollers, was, yeah. Yeah, it was either him or Alex Trebek did high rollers. <laughs> yeah, Alex Trebek, he was on half wits. 
Okay. All right. Let me hit so you with else? a quick list of surprising guest stars. All right. Bartender. Canfields for everyone. Oh, oh Jim Back. Yes, that's great. Again. Yeah. Uh, Jesse White. You know who that is? That was the Maytag repairman before yeah. Gordon Jump. Yep. Exactly. Um, June Lockhart from Warning, Warning, Danger, Danger, Lost in Space. Lost in Space, yep, yep. Uh, You talked earlier, something people like to eat for breakfast. Ding, ding, Richard Dawson. Oh, my God. He appeared in the time travel episode as a knight from medieval England. Well, if he waited till if the show was still on the year before he died, he could have been one of the characters, and he wouldn't have needed one of those big masks. Yeah. <laughs> With his big bloated head, he just would have fit right in. Well, I guess he, you know, he was he was ahead of his time in that way, unfortunately. Any and other guest five, stars? Yeah, yeah one, one more. more. Uh, the female Charles Nelson Riley. Who's that? Joanne Worley. Well, she that doesn't surprise me at all. I have the feeling. I have the feeling. If, I have the feeling. If you opened a supermarket and had 150 bucks in newer agent, Joanne Worley would show up for that. <laughs> I, I still hear, hear her on radio being interviewed by people, uh, really, who are desperate. Wait a minute. Jo- Joanne Worley's alive. Uh huh. Oh sure. Yeah. Yeah. So is Ruth Buzzy. I follow her on Twitter, and she's got some great. Bad, the great bad jokes on there. So right. I recommend Ruth Buzzy. Oh my God. Well, let's see. How many other? Uh, uh, we know Rowan and Martin are dead from Laugh-In, and Artie uh, Artie Johnson is dead. Is there anyone else yes. from Laugh-In? Goldie Hawn is alive. That's right. Yeah, of course she was a kid on the show, but yeah. Yeah. Wow, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. No, no, very interesting. That, that's right. <laughs> All right. Should I should I come up with my uh, next one now? Please. Sock it to me. All right. It's another one that I loved because of the theme song. And as I went down the rabbit hole, I found out a few things that are interesting. We remember it from WFLD in Chicago, but it started as a Saturday morning cartoon. It's a takeoff of how much is that doggy in the window, only it's how much is that gorilla in the window. It's McGilla Gorilla. Ah, remember I that love one? McGilla Gorilla. Yeah. Yes. All right. Who, who did the voice of McGilla Gorilla? McGilla, remember? Gorilla, Gorilla for sale. Um, oh, no, I don't remember, but I know I will as soon as you tell me. Who who did it? Alan Melvin. That's Sam the Butcher. Alan? Oh, my God. I didn't know that. Yep. Alan Melvin. No yep. shit. Wow. And Mr. Peebles was the pet store owner. It was done by yeah. two people. Uh, uh, one guy, Don Messick, who I mentioned before, uh, yeah. uh, you know, he does a, a billion voices. But the other guy was Howie Morris. Yeah, of course. Another voice master. Him and Hal Smith, little known behind the scenes, Otis the Drunk and Ernest T. Bass did tons and tons of voices. Plus, Howie Morris was a comedian in his own right and a and a writer, right? A oh, writer. yeah. Yeah, I want to say I want to show us shows, director. right? Yeah, he was one of the guys who show his shows, and I want to say yeah. he did some directing, too, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, I mean, so many people don't know about that, about Howard yeah. Morris. He's just kind of so under the radar for, you know. Oh, and he, he worked he worked in show business for, I want to say, 50 years. I mean, yeah. uh, your show of shows through the Griffith Show. In the 70s, he was popping up on everything. Uh, yeah, no, he was a, a talented guy. I, I'd love, I, I'm sure he never wrote a book, because I'm sure I would have read it if he had. But uh, that, that guy probably had a gazillion stories, for God's sake. Oh, my God, yeah. 
So, now the wow. the point the point of Magilla Gorilla, okay? It was done by Hanna Barber or Hanna Barbera, I guess so you say it. Um, no, they you know Hanna Barbera, the cartoon <laughs> oh gosh, Okay, but but they had an ulterior motive. They said, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to sell Magilla Gorilla dolls. That's what we're going to do, and we're going to make a fortune on Magilla Gorilla dolls. Well, it didn't work out uh, that way. I mean, they sold some, but uh, never heard of uh, Magilla Gorilla doll. Never saw one in my entire no. life. No. They, and they had this big deal with Ideal Toys, and they were going to sell uh-huh. a gazillion of them, but uh, the show was only on for, let's see, uh, 63 to 65. So it wasn't on that long, so maybe they, you know, it wasn't that popular, and that's why they didn't sell too many toys. So, But anyway. I did With your advice. A gorilla like Magilla is mighty nice. Gorilla. Magilla. Magilla. Gorilla Right. The big finish. I always like the big finish. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's it for McGilla. What do you got? <laughs> okay, I got. I, here's a good song too. Here he comes. Here comes Speed Racer. He's a demon on wheels. Now here's an interesting one. When yeah, we kids, I love this one. Yeah. There were certain certain totem pole pecking order of cartoons on what was cool or what was not. Right. So yeah. uh, in my I told you when I was a kid, circa, you know, sweet spot, nine, ten years old, when I watched regular TV, that's when we, the coolest shows were like Emergency and Six Million Dollar Man. Right. So I would say this was one of the coolest cartoons when we watched, you know, Speed Racer. Yep. Teenage kid racing on the international Formula One circuit or whatever it was. Uh, 1966 to 67, only two years, and 52 yep. episodes, ironically, same as Clutch Carter. And just about as bad amuni- uh, animation, except they didn't use the Synchrovox. But the animation actually was earlier form. I did not know this. I feel like an idiot. I didn't know it was a Japanese show. Did you know that? I did because I actually did research on it like a couple of years ago because I was curious. But keep going. Yeah, it started as a Japanese show. <laughs> Yeah, it was called Mock Gogo, and was on in Japan. And they took, eventually they took these shows, same shows, and showed them here. But this guy got his hands on him named Peter Fernandez. He was the producer. And he did, like, most of the voices and dubbing. He dubbed it. Like, if you watch, you see a lot of stuff where the voice doesn't match up, and they say things like, when, you know, somebody gets hit in an actual, oh, oh. There's a ton of dubbing. He does multiple voices. He wrote the lyrics for the theme and um, basically Americanized it so they could show it. But it was, I never knew that. Um, So the name of Speed Racer, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever seen the Japanese version? No. Oh, go, go, go. I'm going to put it in. I'm going to drop a clip in. But it's the Speed Racer theme. But it's Hong Ching Kong, Han Ching Katonki, Hong Kiching Kokotong. So the same song. Same exact, same exact lyrics, not lyrics, same exact music, but obviously lyrics that that work for Japan. And they've got, it's... It was the same open for the most part, but then all of a sudden they cut to a shot of Speed Racer like driving through a jungle, and there are like elephants running behind him, and a leopard jumps over the Mach 5. Uh, uh, yeah, so it, it, it literally, it's like 75% of the exact same open that we saw, but for some reason they'd put Speed Racer out in the jungle every now and then and have all these wild animals. I have no interesting. idea. Interesting. Well, yeah. interesting. 
very interesting. And you know, one of the reasons I thought it was so cool, of course, it's racing, which is cool. Oh yeah. And then they had the Mach 5. Now that was a cool car, right? Even though it was cartoon, just awesome. And then these cars would have like, if I remember correctly, they'd have things that would come out like spinning saw blades and saw each other in half and stuff like that. And then Racer X, the mysterious Racer X, who everybody, even us kids knew, was really Speed Racer's brother, but he didn't know that. They would get in an accident or something in the, on the racetrack, and Racer X could win the race, but instead he would help Speed and you know lose the race because he did that. Why was he doing that? But anyway, uh, they had uh, companions, uh, Spridle and Chim Chim, Chim Chim yeah. being a monkey, of course. Speed! Speed! Yeah, yeah that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. yeah, that's good. That's a good Speed Racer. <laughs> yeah, and then Trixie, his girlfriend. Of course, that, you know, sounds a better name for a prostitute than a cartoon teenage girlfriend, but whatever. I mean, that was right. 1966. So, um, they did make a live-action movie you remember oh. you probably saw it advertised i doubt you saw it right you no i saw it i saw it advertised and i yeah. immediately knew i didn't want to see it how how bad did it fail it failed really badly uh it was a box office failure but i don't know the figures but um it made oh it made 93 million and it had a budget of 120 120 million and it got terrible reviews it's something yeah. basically yeah I do remember in the open of Speed Racer, even when I was a kid, I was kind of conscious of this. They show him racing and doing all this stuff, and the Mach 5 jumps up in the air and does all the crazy stuff. And then at the end, they have that racing scene where, like, he and another car collide. You know, they go side to side, and boom, boom, boom. And then the other guy, you know, loses control, and he goes off the side of a mountain. Now, why you're racing on the side of a mountain, I have no idea. You know, it's a racetrack, but here they are. So anyway, so he goes all the way down to the bottom of the mountain. There's yeah. this huge explosion. I mean, a huge monster explosion with black smoke. And then two seconds later, Speed Racer's crossing the finish line, and it's and everyone's like all happy. I'm like, wait a minute. Isn't anyone even remotely concerned about this <laughs> yeah. guy who went all the way down to the bottom of the cavern? Yeah. No. Uh, no. Yeah, no. 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 Things were, you know, things were harder edge back then, especially in the cartoon world. They people got killed. All you're right. The time. Yeah. Oh, you're right. <laughs> well, who knows? That, maybe maybe that guy ejected at the last minute and walked it off. It's very Could possible. Be. We never we uh, never saw, but it's possible. But, but I and as a kid, I couldn't understand why there wasn't a real Mach 5 because I'd see, you know, my my dad driving his, uh, you know, Chrysler K car or his Ford LTD, and I said, well, God. Why don't they have cool cars like the Mach 5? You know, I yeah. couldn't figure that out. <laughs> yeah, good good question. But it was cool, and so not much else to say. I mean, we pretty much covered the territory with it, but I watched it any time it was on. Speed Racer. Well, and again, another one with a great theme song, which is going to lead me right to my next one. You ready? I'm ready. Watch out for that tree. <laughs> tree is I didn't even have to sing it, you know. <laughs> George of the Jungle. Uh, oh, yeah. God. I watched that open about five times the other day, and I still kept laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just so funny. Watch out for the hits the tree. And, and of course. They, and, and it's so well produced. I mean, it's such a fun little song at the beginning. But the disappointing thing is the fact that once I got done watching the open, I watched the cartoon and I was bored within a minute and a half. I know. I know. A lot of these <laughs> cartoons, when you watch them nowadays, of course, they were made for kids. But yeah. they're not that high quality. 
And I, I don't think it was the writing that kept the kids interested. It was superficial stuff, like we just talked about with Speed Racer. It was racing, and they had a cool car, and they had accidents and stuff. So, but then again, why would the kids find George of the Jungle interesting? Because it's funny, he'd go boom yeah. in the tree, you know. That, that's yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he, yeah, in the episode I saw, uh, his vine breaks, so he goes into a river, and then he goes over the falls, uh, uh, and then he has to, and then he go. like almost drowns. You, yeah, so it's all just yeah. little slapstick stuff. Now they, they did 17 episodes in 1967, but believe it or not, George of the Jungle was like one of the more expensive animated series because they really took extra care when they put it together. I get, and I don't know. Really. They, they, yeah, but the problem was they got at the end of uh, uh, 17 episodes, and they said, hey, wait a minute, um, we're about uh, uh, $200,000 in the hole here. We spent too much producing it. I'm like, oh, God, well, yeah, do you want some more? No, no, we can't afford to do it because they, they lost money on it because they, they spent too much money in the animation. Wow, that is fascinating. Yeah. So they lost money. Yeah, I, I, I gotta watch that because this stuff doesn't seem like that. Most of these shows are no. not that high quality as far as the animation goes. So what were they blowing the money on? I, mean, I, I have no idea. But when you watch it, you're like, it, it's definitely better than Clutch Cargo and probably yeah. and better than Speed Racer. But uh, it, and who knows? I, I I when it comes to animation, I kind of understand how it's done. But you can yeah. tell that it's definitely it's definitely a cut above some of them. But uh, apparently they, they they didn't know what they were doing and they lost money. Now let me tell you this. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. George of the Jungle was actually he was actually kind of based off of Tarzan, obviously. Another ripoff. Well, there was a Mister Universe guy named George Eiferman, and really? and one of the guys that produced the show was in World War II and there was actually a, a, a cook in the army drew a picture of George of the Jungle on a minesweeper during World War II. I don't know why he was this, and it wasn't George of the Jungle, it was this George uh, Eiferman guy, Mr. Universe. So he drew it on a ship, and somebody remembered that and said, oh, yeah, that was a good drawing. Who was that? Oh, yeah, let's do that for George of the Jungle. So he really was based off a real guy. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of a cool story. I like that. And, you know, you were talking about the beginning. It gets you every time. I was thinking, you know, if I was making a cartoon and I had, you know, low ethics like we're talking about, just right. maybe uh, start with those two things. Maybe what I would do is put all of my resources and money into the beginning of the cartoon. I wouldn't care sure. if the rest of it was shit because these kids are not very discerning. If they think it's funny enough where they want to watch it at the beginning, their attention span is going to wander anyway. They'll go do, you know, play with the blocks or run around or, uh, you know, go get a snack. Once it's on, it's on. Then it counts for the Nielsen ratings. So just get them at the beginning, grab them. And yeah. I don't give a shit if they turn the channel after that. Well, but that, you know what? That's, that's probably what they were doing with us, for God's sake. Because I, all the theme songs I remember very well, but the actual episodes are kind of, uh, you know, I mean, very forgettable. So I think you're exactly right. <laughs> Come up with a good song, a good intro, a nice little hook, and there you go. You got a cartoon. And a cool that topic. The kids think, yeah, the kids well, something, yeah. anything. Now, yeah. the guy that did the voice uh, was uh, uh, Paul Free, uh, another voice actor who did everything. But mm-hmm. <laughs> for the episode of, or not the episode, for the character of the elephant, I think, because the elephant was the smart one, because um, George was really dumb. Uh, Paul Free just goes ahead and does a Ronald Coleman impersonation. Really? I don't even yeah. know who Ronald Coleman is. He was like, uh, wasn't he like 
the Thin Man or something like that. No, that was William Powell. He was uh, he was an actor who was popular in the 40s and 50s. He was most notably, for me anyway, Jack Benny's supposed next-door neighbor on the radio show. Oh. Hello, Benita. Hiya, Ronnie. Long time no see. Oh. Hi, Jack. You're right, Jack. I haven't seen you since the dinner party last Saturday night. Yeah, well, that a wonderful dinner. Too bad you couldn't have been at my table. Oh, that's all right, Jack. The man we had served beautifully. <laughs> By the way, Ronnie, I didn't get a chance to talk to you Saturday night, so I just came over to congratulate you on winning the Academy Award. Thank you, Jack. Good night. Huh? And and they always, it was Ronald Coleman and his wife, Benita, and they always looked down on Jack because Jack was cheap and he drove a Maxwell. But Jack was always trying to get invited (laughs) to their house. You know, he tried to to crash their dinner parties or, you know, go go to society events with them. But, yeah, no, he he was very famous. I think he won an Oscar. Well, I know he won an Oscar because Jack Benny walked over to Ronald Coleman's house to borrow the Oscar because he wanted to show it to some of his friends at his house. Ronald begrudgingly gives it to Jack, and then on the way back, that's when they had that great episode where the guy holds up Jack, and he says, hey, bud, your money or your life. I said, your money or your life. I'm thinking it over. And and. And then the, the the robber takes the Oscar, and that's that's the episode. That's, that's who Ronald Coleman is, to answer your question. All right. All right, that's enough for George of the Jungle. But again, watch the open. I'll throw a little bit of it in here. You know, I won't put enough so we get sued, but I loved it. Loved it. Great song. Very good. Okay, well, uh, you know, these a lot of great songs here because my, our next one combines a great song and some great voice actors and a couple of good stories, also done by the world-famous... Uh, uh, Hanna Barbera. Tra la 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 And that was not, despite what some people say, written by Bob Marley. It's not Buffalo Soldier. The banana splits. One banana, two banana, three banana, four. Rolling down the highway, the banana buggies go. Banana Splits Adventure Hour, also known as the Banana Splits. 31 episodes, 1968 to 1970, live action, like a la Zoo Review. And you talk about rip-off left and right. Okay, so they ripped off Buffalo Soldier for the, uh, Bob Marley for the theme song. Then they ripped off the Monkees by having these guys as like a, you know, it's a makeshift band where they they run around doing, you know, like psychedelic, uh, funny, comedic, laugh-in type bits and then play songs. Fictional rock band. Uh, four, but there are four costume characters, a la News Review. Uh, Flegel, Bingo, Drooper, and Snork. I think Snork was the elephant. Drooper, trying to remember. Bingo was the, um, I believe, the uh, the ape, right? The gorilla. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Flegel, I didn't write this down, but I think he was the lion. But anyway, um, so in 1967... Hannah and Barbera, William Hannah, Joseph Barbera, approached Sid and Marty Croft, saying, can you design some costumes for this show? We want to do a live-action show like you guys do. And so um, basically they based it loosely on laughing. And actually the Banana Splits appeared on one episode of laughing. The voices for the Banana Splits, okay, this is where you notice a theme here. Paul okay. Winchell. Yeah. Dawes Butler and Alan Melvin. <laughs> there you go. Who was Alan Melvin again? Well, Sam the Butcher, for God's sake. McGilla Gorilla. My God, these guys cashed a lot of checks. 
Right. So what they would do is they'd have these little skits as kind of wraparounds, and then they had these four sort of 15-minute shows they would intersperse in. One you probably remember was called Danger Island. Uh-oh, Chango! And they had like a Jungle yes. Boy, Jan Michael Vincent. It was, it was bad, you know. And then they would break back in and show the banana splits racing around on their buggies or... Uh, Popping around in the studio. And by the way, they shot the opening for this at Six Flags. Yes, uh, I do remember that. I remember doing the research on that because uh, they were outside. They're in a lot of um, uh, uh, amusement park rides yeah. in the open, right? Yeah, I think so. Right. And they did, they did it later at Coney Island in Cincinnati. Not at the one. What was the one in Cincinnati where the Brady Bunch went? And where King's they lost Island. The that was King's yeah. Island, yes. Yeah. King's, and that's also where. Plans. Yeah. And that's also where Evil Knievel did one of his jumps. Uh, yeah. So there oh, he go. did. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> if I ever go there, I'm going to bring architectural plans. I just as an homage to. The right. Bunch. And then yeah, and then you lose them. You know. And then go to the customer service. Could you make an announcement, please? Right. Please. Yes. Anyone has lost architectural plans, please report to security. There's a gentleman here with a bad afro uh, who claims to be an architect named Mike Brady who wants his plans back. (laughs) So, yeah, I just remember the banana splits, though. I mean, they were just kind of like an uh, an intro and outro to all the – did they have cartoons, too? But I can't can't remember. No, they had Danger Island, and then they had um, Three Musketeers for a while, which was uh, Don Messick did some voices for that. Yeah. Um, then they had one called Arabian Nights, you might remember, that was voiced There's Prince Turan. It was like, I remember this. It was a cartoon voiced by Jane North. Okay. Um, so that was, yeah, that was a cartoon. Three Musketeers was a cartoon. And then uh, Danger Island was live action. And so, yeah, but they would, and there was another one that I don't remember called Micro Ventures. It was only like four episodes of this. I don't know what the hell that was. But anyway, yeah, they, it would just be like a rap. They would do wraparound little skits like uh, laughing. But so it was all kind of jumbled up, but I, just the whole novelty of it. Who doesn't love the banana splits? And they seem very friendly until we got to 2019. Until 2019, what happened? Well, they made a film called the Banana Splits movie. But oh. what it was, the problem was, it follows, um, it shows them doing a live taping of the Banana Splits, and but they, they go crazy and try to kill the audience members. And they shove lollipops down people's throats and try to kill them and stuff. It's literally a what? horror movie. Yeah. Oh my God. And it got good reviews. So I never heard of this movie, but it's like they go crazy and become killers, like bloodthirsty killers. Uh, now, how did they get? Movie. How did they get the rights to do that? Wouldn't you think that the people that control the rights would be like, wait a minute, you can't make our characters into killers? I don't know. I have no idea because I, I, I would imagine that's Hanna Barbera and or um, I think Sid and Marty Croft had something to do with it, but I don't think they controlled the rights. But anyway, yeah, 2019. Look it up. I'm not watching. I don't want to see it. No, me neither. Me neither. But I, but I will do the research and I'll find out if if they had any sort of a, an issue obtaining the rights because and okay. who knows maybe maybe it fell into the public domain. A lot of that stuff, you know, some of that stuff falls could into the be. public domain on occasion. So could be. Anyway. But I need to tell you one more thing before we finish it up. Yep. Banana splits. Tell me. I told you about the Sid and Marty Croft angle. Hanna Barbera wanted them to make the costumes. Well, right. Um, they. Were so buoyed, so to speak, Sid and Marty Croft were by the success of Banana Splits that they decided to create another series which was launched 
doing one showing on an episode of Banana Splits, they created another sort of live action uh, animation combined series called H.R. Puffin Stuff in 1969. Uh, it's yes. not one of my shows today, and I didn't particularly like it, but I thought, you know, with Witchy Poo and all that and the scary trees, it was kind of just frightening, but pretty popular stuff for a couple of years there. Wasn't H.R. Puffin Stuff almost like New Zoo Review with the costumes? Didn't they have gigantic heads? Yeah, but it was creepy. You know, it yeah. was a little bit on the dark. It was on the dark side for sure. Like things would be okay. Like a little Jimmy is running around playing his fruit flute, and and all of a sudden the trees they would turn dark and they would grab him and hang him. The witchy poo would come and it's gonna get everybody. You know, so like I don't want to see this. Turn it off. But, yeah, uh, I, I I don't remember ever liking that show. I know I saw it, and of course I can sing the theme song. You know, but uh, uh, HR Puffin stuff. Then, then when the things, things get rough, get rough. Yeah. HR, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, we, our memories have retained about 75% of the lyrics to these shows. But yeah. thankfully, since we're both musicians, we can always come up, we can always come up with a melody. Maybe not the lyrics, but we can come up with a melody. So this reminds me of the kind of noises that we're going to make when we're in the chair in the home at the end. There's basically oh, two or three lines of song, of theme songs here or there, and that's about it. What did he say? Take care of stuff. I wet my pants. All right. I've got one more for you. This this was one of the worst of all time. But for for whatever reason, I watched it and I remembered it vividly. And when I went back, I said, yep, yep, my memory is good. It was a live action show, but it was on Saturday mornings with actors. It was called... Korg, 70,000 B.C. Oh, my Lord. Holy crap, I just remembered that. Now, did they have apes? Was like Planet of the Apes? It's Yeah, that's ba- the, the, it was Neanderthal Man, 70,000 B.C., and, uh-huh. and it, they show them, you know, just trying to forage for food, and they're trying to uh-huh. make shelter. And Post even though it's... War. No, 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 no. I mean, this is really... Oh. I mean, you know, this is way... This is the, I the see, actual... Oh, this is the other side of it. Arc right. two was post nuclear war, right? Yes, yeah. No, this was this was virgin territory, seventy thousand years before Christ, and these even though they're Neanderthals, they all speak pretty damn good English. Uh, they're not too, every now and then they, they drop yeah. a preposition. Little or known something. fact that they could oh, yeah. actually talk really well back then. That's where we got the language. Where, where do you think it came from? For God's sake. Well, the uh, the episode that I saw. Um, and it brought back so many to me, but uh, uh, they're looking, they're, they're in a new area looking for food because there's a drought where they live. So they go to this mm-hmm. new area and one of their tribe falls into the water and gets swept away. And somebody else from another tribe sees them and rescues that person. But they think, oh my God, he, he was washed away. And then he comes back. They're like, oh, a God must have saved him. Uh, but they, they didn't know how to swim. So that's the reason they let this one guy just get washed away. So like, okay, well, that, that's it for him. But all of a sudden, you know, five minutes later, he comes walking up. Like, oh, what's it? Oh, it must have been a god that saved me. Yes, it was. Well, it turns out there's another tribe. And yeah. they're like, oh, wait, there are other people over here. Oh, we didn't know there were other people. We thought we were the only people. So that's just one of the episodes. I mean, it, it, but the thing oh. that made the thing that made it okay and the thing that really brought me back and made me happy was the fact that the narrator, and I will give you $1,000 in Jeopardy money. This is a $1,000 Jeopardy question. Who do you think the great actor who was the narrator was? 
I would say the act, the narrator was Ted Cassidy. God, you're in the ballpark. It was Burgess Meredith. Burgess Meredith. Okay. Yeah. 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 You know, Burgess Meredith was in a post-nuclear war show. Uh, remember, he was on the Twilight Zone episode yeah. when there was no one left around except him, and he he was so happy because he could read his books, and then his glasses broke, and then he was I know. screwed. Yeah. You know what? I always hated that episode because yeah. I was so sad for Burgess Meredith. Right. All well, he ever wanted to do was read his books, and he breaks his glasses. Oh, well, come on. There's got to be an optical shop nearby, and they still have all the inventory. Just go start trying them on. There's dead people all over. Start pulling glasses off bodies, and pretty soon you're going to get close enough where you can at least make out the large print books or something like that. Well, so. see, why didn't my mom or dad explain that to me? Because when I saw it, I just said, this, he, he's screwed. He'll never be able to read it. And I always feel bad when people break their glasses. I don't know why. But like when yeah. when you see a guy who's got like repaired glasses, I'm always like, oh, I feel bad for that guy, you know? Yeah. Remember you used to see that more back in the 70s. Yeah. You'd see somebody that had their glasses taped up because they are expensive, but you don't see that. Today. People don't. Well, I think it's glasses. because. I, well, I think. Yeah, no, I think it's because when we were kids, you know, when you're kids, you're always running and climbing trees and stuff like that. And, oh, your glasses fall off or, you know, you step on them or whatever. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, and, and I'm sure that, you know, the quality of, of material now is better than it was back then. But Wow. So he narrated Korg or what was it called? Borg or Korg? Korg, K-O-R-G, 70,000 <laughs> B.C. One of the episodes that I remember, and I couldn't find it online, but... <laughs> And it teaches you, and it actually, it was an educational show, and what happened is they, they like, slayed some sort of a woolly mammoth, and they had all the meat, and so they had the meat outside, and then they went into the cave, but while they were in the cave, the tide came up, and the tide came and took their meat away, and washed it away, and they're like, oh. Sounds like Gilligan's Island or something. Pretty close, yeah. So then they're like, oh, we lost all our meat, but then the tide comes back and brings back the meat and they're like oh the meat came back the gods have blessed us but then when they eat the meat they're like wait a minute this is better meat because it had been seasoned by the sea salt you see oh it got brined a little bit or whatever so, yeah. so they learned they learned oh. about condiments or you know <laughs> i i, I swear to, to god you. yeah i have to tell you i'm sorry this, this sounds, sounds to me like just a, a horrible horrible shit pile of a show. <laughs> it, Who, it what was kid would want to watch this? It was very slow moving. I'm sure it fulfilled some educational requirements. That's the reason it was on the air. Oh, God. <laughs> but, but again, I, re- I remember it very well. <laughs> and I felt bad for the actors because they show them all at the beginning, you know, and they're all dressed. It's, it's like, it really is. They're almost like dressed up like Planet of the Apes. And they all got facial <laughs> hair and everything. But you know, Larry Storch one of them? No, every actor went immediately after the show was canceled to the unemployment line, and then to (laughs) you know, to a sea of never work in this town again. Anonymity. Yeah, no, I mean they literally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you couldn't find anybody. They couldn't find work, I'm sure, after that. So, so Cork, seventy thousand B.C. You're right. It was terrible. (laughs) Absolutely terrible. But I watched it for whatever reason. Well, I, I really. You can't top that in terms of the awfulness of it, but I have one left that I think was my favorite of all time and probably considered by almost all kids watching Saturday morning cartoons to be the coolest number one appointment television show ever in the history all right. 
of Saturday morning cartoons. And I, that's good. I want to end this on a high note. 1973-1985, narrated by one Ted Knight, the Justice League of America, where four of the superheroes to save the world convene once a week against the Legion of Doom, the Super Friends. Yeah, that was a good one. That was always yeah. your favorite on Saturday morning, I think. Can you name me the four superheroes? There's actually five because well, there was a sidekick okay. uh, who made up the Justice League of America at the beginning. And this okay. changed over a long period of time, 1973, yes. 1980. So I'm going to start with the core four. All right. The core, the core four would have obviously been Batman, Superman, Aquaman, and Wonder Woman. Correct. Exactly. Yep. Now, who do you think was the weakest link? I think Aquaman. Uh, you know, because I never understood what he did. He had like a sonar thing going underwater right. where he would get the help of certain fish to, to do things, maybe, you know, turn a ship around or something like that. I don't know. But it, it just seemed like a stretch, Aquaman. Like, do we really need the underwater help most of the time? No. Well, and the thing is, anything that Aquaman could do, Superman could do, too, because he could do everything. You know, he, he could. He could. He could yes, communicate with fish. But, you know, but what what kind of a skill is that anyway? Well, of course, it's a cartoon, and we're supposed to suspend uh, belief. And these are all DC superheroes. So sure. uh, kids love this. Now, the voice cast, I already talked about Ted Knight. I didn't know till today or yesterday when I was researching this that that was Ted Knight doing the narration, but he did. Uh, 1973, 1985. So they changed the name of the show just about every damn year. At the beginning, it was called Super Friends for the first year. Then they changed okay. it a couple years later to All New Super Friends Hour. Then they changed it to Challenge of the Super Friends. Then the World's Greatest Super Friends. Then the next year, Super Friends again. Then the next year, Super Friends, the legendary superpower show. And then finally, in 1985-86, the Superpowers team, Galactic Guardians. Okay? All right. The, the voices... Um, some of these people you know, some you don't. Uh, Superman was done by a guy named Danny Dark, who did like a lot of voiceovers. I know he did things like, uh, remember, Butter, 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 Parquet, remember? Uh, and uh, he did Superman. Casey right. Kasem did Robin. Okay. Uh, Olin Sule did Batman. And of course, Olin Sule, I know you know, played the choir director on the Andy Griffith show when Barney was singing and he thought it was his voice but it was really Gomer's right. voice. And he has like the most the most 50s voice. Like he, We talk about Wally Cox being cast as a bird watcher. Yeah. Olin Sule was the number one stereotypical choir director. I think I detected a little flat note there. <laughs> well, perhaps I'm mistaken. But let's just try it again, shall we? And now I'm going to take your toys away. The game is over, Toy Man. So why they would have this guy do Batman's voice, even in a cartoon, I don't know. But if you listen yeah. to these shows, it's right like, Superman, we should go over here. Perhaps we should take a break for a snack and some choir music. You know, it just didn't sound right. Uh, but anyway, he did that. Frank Welker did some voices, of course, did, does a ton of voices, was on Scooby-Doo, did... What was the name of the blonde Freddy in Scooby-Doo? Okay. And an, another guy who did a ton of voices was Ted Cassidy. You rang. Oh, my God, yes. So I got to reading about Ted Cassidy. By the way, when he played Lurch, you know, it was one of his first roles. Do you know how tall he was in real life, Ted Cassidy? Oh, I, I, he had to be 6'9", easy. 
That's exactly right. Six nine. And he had that look to his face, almost like kind of like a giant or something. And he had this disease. It was a condition. I shouldn't say it was a disease. It ended up killing him. It it um, it caused him to be. It, it played into the fact that he was that tall. It caused his facial features to be as they were, where it was kind of like a severe, I'm not going to say he looked like a monster, but let's say he didn't have to have that much makeup for Lurch because uh, he had those facial features. Um, it caused his voice to be that deep. I mean, that was his real voice. He didn't have to do that. But he seemed like a nice guy when I watched him in interviews. But in 1979, he went in, he had this benign tumor, uh, on his heart that had to be removed, but there were complications when he was recuperating at home, and he died. So it was sad. He was only like 46 years old. Now, do you did... know the do you know the name of the disease? Because I think there are other guys in, in show business that have that disease. Um, yeah, like, like the guy that's like, I think I broke his freaking neck in uh, Longest Yard. Not Richard Elam, but uh, no, I, I, Richard uh, Richard Keel. Richard, Richard Keel. Yeah, yeah, he was in yeah. uh, the Bond movies. Yeah, the gold. The tooth. The, and I want to say the guy, the guy who played Mr. Oh, Mr. Bentley on the Jeffersons. Remember the British guy? Hello, Mr. J. Yes. What are you doing over here? I yeah. think he Mr. had that J. same. Condi- I think he had that yeah. same condition too. Kind of like a check. Yeah. No kidding. That's fast. So it was sad. Yeah. He had this condition and he died, but. Did you know that he also, I talked about this coolest show being $6 million man. I didn't realize it, or maybe I forgot it. Remember the Bigfoot episode in $6 million man? You know, Sasquatch, that's when we learned for the first time. Oh, yeah. Well, Ted Cassidy played Bigfoot. Lurch was Bigfoot, too. Really? Um, yeah. What? But, that that kind of sucks, though, man. The yeah. guy, you know, go from playing well, Lurch to playing Bigfoot. Yeah, geez, yeah and I think he was kind of sad. He he did not like the Lurch typecasting. And so, like, well, what do you got for me? Well, how about Bigfoot? <laughs> Can't I play a doctor? Can I play, like, a school teacher or something? No, no, we need you for Bigfoot. Oh, okay, I'll show up, you know. Yeah, but he did seem like a nice guy. So he was a voice on this show. Um, and then, uh, so, I mean, I just, you know, it was all the same things. Like I said, you know, there's a train running down the hill and the track's broken and Superman has to go save the day. Or there's mad scientists going to blow up the world and the super friends have to get together to stop it. And then later they added, uh, the Wonder Twins with the little, uh, chimp. Uh, it was, uh, the Wonder Twins and Gleek, their chimp. Like, how come everybody has a pet monkey, by the way, to these shows? Like, why? No one really has a pet monkey, but you see it all the time. Uh, like on uh, Speed Racer or uh, Super Friends. Oh, my favorite was on Speed Racer when Spritel and Chim Chim would be in the trunk because they'd always want to, you know, be with Speed. So right. they'd hide in the trunk and then Speed would take the Mach 5 and drive it at the bottom of the ocean. Remember when he'd do that? Cause oh, they, yeah. yeah. They have the special treads that came in on the tire. So he's driving at the bottom of the ocean, and, and they put the, the top over the Mach 5 so that he can breathe. So then they get out of the water, and the only thing that happens to Spritel and Chim Chim, they open the trunk, and they spit out a mouthful of water. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a fish comes out, too, or something right, like Exactly, that. a fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you said, I'm, they, they asked us kids to suspend our disbelief. Yes. But you know what? And we did. But the, the monkey, monkey thing does seem like a running team. I can't think of a whole lot of others. They even put a monkey on the television news, remember, on the Today Show for a while? Well, um, that's a famous story because they had Pat Weaver, uh, uh, the guy who came up with the idea for the Today Show and the Tonight Show, 
have the Today Show, but no one watched TV in the morning. They all listen to the radio. So he said, what am I going to do to get this show on the air? And he got J. Fred Muggs, the chimpanzee, to roller skate around. And the kids would say, Mommy, I want to turn on TV so I can see the, the chimp. And there's Dave Garraway doing the Today Show. You know, yeah. And they're like, oh, well, wait a minute. This is actually a pretty good show. Oh, maybe I should watch TV in the morning. But, yes, oh. you're exactly right. You're exactly I like that. Right. That's, That's good. good. Now, they, they went, went overboard. You know where having, having chimps, chimps on TV jump the shark, shark, I would say, was with Lancelot Link. Remember that show? Lancelot Link's, what was it? Lancelot Link's Secret Chimp, wasn't that it? Yeah, right. It was kind of like Get Smart, except with chimps. And I thought, God, it was an awful show. I think I saw it once or twice. And, like, God, can you imagine being, like, the director of that show? Like, holy shit, I got to work with chimps. And, like, you know, it must have just been a, a nightmare. Like, because, you know, these chimps, even if they're the smartest chimps around, they're not going to be that highly trained and they're pooping and things like that, I would admit. So I don't But anyway, the super friends. So they yeah. added other superheroes later, like they would add some other ones eventually, a couple of years later, like the Flash and Green Lantern. Yeah, and, and I know. Yeah. What could the Flash do? Uh, he, he can run fast. fast. Yeah, and, you know, so like he, like you said, if Superman was busy, and there was a specialty job that required speed to go, you know, you got to go stop somebody or stop a moving train. Like Superman could do it all. But, you know, uh, these other guys, they had to sell comic books, okay? So there's only, so, you know, these kids need something else to read. So these other specialty superheroes. I can't even remember what the Green Lantern did. But um, later, they added, like, I'm talking about at the end, like when you and I are too old to be watching cartoons, like 19... 85 and stuff like that. You know, they're adding, they've got, um, they added new characters. There was one called Apache Chief, Black Vulcan, El Dorado, and Samurai. And they, they El Dorado? Made, yeah. Well, they're, just, think, they're naming superheroes after cars now? Hey, you know, Chevy well, you Vega. Know what they were doing? They were making action figures. So they were, and, oh, yeah. and, new, and new comic books. So they were trying to parlay all that. But basically, you know, it is what you think it is. But I just, you know, who can resist Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman? DC, it's like a comic book. And I, the animation was horrendous. No one cared. I mean, it was good. Like, it looked good as far as the drawing. But they didn't move much. Uh, they didn't have to. And, uh, you know, I just thought uh, it was my all-time favorite, coolest show. Yeah, you can't revisit this stuff and enjoy it in the same way. You can just revisit the memories, right? You're exactly right. The only thing yeah. that holds up for me is the music, really. And some of, right. you know, like like when you hear Ted Knight go, Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Meanwhile, <laughs> Lou and Murray. Oops, sorry. Wrong show. <laughs> no. uh, yeah, see, your Ted Knight is much better than mine. <laughs> you know what? You, you do the Ted Knights. I'll take care of the Spritles. I can do, Speed! Speed! <laughs> oh. And you get... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, Super Friends is a good way to wrap this up. And, and uh, it was a little disappointing going back and watching some of these shows. But I did like the theme songs uh, and Super Friends, of course. You know, that that's a classic. That's a classic. Although, who were the bad guys? Remember the bad guys? At the, it yeah. was the Le- Legion of Doom. Who were the bad yeah. guys? Well, they, at the beginning, they didn't have specific bad guys that were known already to comic book fans. They would just do, like, right. mad scientists or evil people. But then they would bring, I can't remember, like, I'm not a comic book guy. I didn't write it down. But they would, all the ones, a lot of the ones that are classic uh, villains, like, I don't know if it was Venom or that's Marvel, I think. I'm not sure. But they, they brought in, they incorporated later the, the DC uh, villains, like Lex, Lex Luger. Um, who else? 
you, you got to help me out because I don't I don't know who the villains yes, are. Yes, you know I I don't remember. I wish I could. It was Lex Luthor, I think. Lex Luthor. Um, right. Gene Hackman. Yeah. Yeah, right. Too. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but no, see, and I I just remember that they came up eventually with the Legion of Doom, and they had one guy who looked like he was like a swamp guy. Yeah. And then didn't they have like the Superman knockoff, like Bizarro Superman? Where yes, he they did. Rocks? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, they had all those guys. Yeah. In, in the th- wasn't there one guy that was made completely of rocks, like the Thing or something? Was he, he a bad would, guy? He was, he was a, a good, good guy. guy. I think there was oh, a, also, also an anti-thing, kind of like there was a, uh, like a Bizarro Superman. But remember, the Fantastic Four was named the Plastic Man, I think, and then the yeah. Thing, and there was like a girl, and then there was a boy or something like that too. I can't remember. And and wait a minute, what did the Wonder Twins? I remember they would do Wonder Twin, uh, Wonder Twins power Wonder Twin powers activate. activate. Yeah, they turned their watch or something like that, and then they would. This it was bullshit. You know, it's like you got to be careful because they could do pretty much anything that the writers wanted. So it's one thing to suspend disbelief, but you know you got to share the powers equally. But I can't remember what they did, but they could pretty much do whatever the hell they wanted by activating their Wonder Twin powers. Yeah, but I think. Yeah, I think one of them could be animals and the other could be, like, water. Activate! Shape of an ice ladder. Form of a mouse. A pterodactyl. Ice bolt. Face insect. A vial of water. A ski slope. I, th- I, I hated the Wonder Twins. I thought that was when they jumped the shark moment. Yeah, you know, that, I agree. That was, like, that was like introducing a Joni Loves Chachi thread or something like that. You know, or Cousin Oliver. That was their Cousin yeah. Oliver. I think. Yeah, Wonder Yeah, Wonder Twins stunk. They were, they were terrible. Yeah. <laughs> they were the worst. And Greek, All right. the monkey. It was like a blue monkey, too. And skinny. Not even fat and cute or anything. Yeah, see, you get a fat monkey, that's funny. Skinny monkey, yeah. eh, not so funny. So. Yeah, like Magilla Gorilla. Yeah, Magilla Gorilla, of course. Yeah. He was funny. Yeah, and he, remember he wore he wore a hat, and I think he had a bow tie and suspenders. Didn't Magilla Gorilla yeah. dress like that? Yeah, I think so. Uh-huh. Gorilla like Magilla is mighty nice. Yeah, well, at any price. Yeah, at any price. Take our advice, Magilla. <laughs> dun 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 dun. dun. Magilla Gorilla Force Head. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> all right this is jim back with the corrections first of all wally cox died in 1973 he was only 48 years old high rollers the game show was hosted by alex trebek and wink martindale harry and i should have known that one howie morris is a director listen to this he directed episodes of the annie griffith show gomer pile hogan's heroes dick van dyke one day at a time and bewitched and ted cassidy as well as richard keel had a condition that was known as acromegaly and i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly and wow this is very unusual for the corrections but here comes somebody walking down the street hey bud bud got a match Match? Yes, I have one right here. Don't make a move. This is a stick-up. What? You heard me. Mister, mister, put down that gun. Shut up. Now, come on. Your money or your life? 
Look, Bud, I said your money or your life. I'm thinking it over. <laughs> now, mister, shut up and give me your wallet. And I'll take that package you're holding, too. Oh, no, Miss, don't take that package. It isn't mine. It belongs to Ronald Coleman. Shut up. But, mister, please. Hey, this looks like gold. I'll melt it down. But it isn't the... mine. I have to return it. Pipe down. And lay down on the sidewalk, face down, and count to a hundred. Look, mister, can't we... Go on. Don't make a move or I'll let you have it. Okay. Okay. Down on your face and start counting. Yes, sir. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine.